Hi, everyone. Welcome to Stem From's podcast, Where Does Your Journey Stem From?, hosted by myself, Dr. Karina Minardi. Today, we are joined by a creative scientist and guest, Mai, who is currently a graduate student at Brown University. Let's welcome to the stage, Mai. Hey, Mai, how's it going? Hello. Hi, everyone. Um, it's going good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're excited to have you. Um, Mai Huen is a fourth year PhD student in pathobiology program at Brown University. Her research in the Jameson lab revolves around the complex relationship between the microbiome and the immune system in the context of cancer. She's very passionate about a breadth of topics ranging from music theory to political science. Excited to get into this. She has been involved in social justice and equity initiatives uh, since very young and hopes to pursue a career promoting diversity in all types of research in order to make healthcare more inclusive. That was a great mission, Mai. So let's start off a little bit about you telling us um, not only about yourself, but also your background. Uh, my name is Mai, like um, Dr. Minardi mentioned. Um, I'm a Vietnamese and Pacific Islander. So um, that uh, combination has been a barrier, I guess, in terms of um, making my a space for myself in the, the scientific field, just because there's still quite an underrepresentation of Southeast Asians and um, Pacific Islanders in science. Um, and so that was kind of what allowed me to um, to see all of the the gaps uh, in the way that science um, makes space for um, minorities, as well as how it caters to minorities um, in its practice. Um, so uh, I know it might sound cliche, but um, uh, one of my biggest motivators is helping other people. Um, one of my closest friends in undergrad um, used to say, um, always put people first, as in, um, being there not only for yourself, but for people around you and advocating for those in need, so. No, that's great. I think, and in, in while it is, I guess, quasi-cliche, I think um, to have a mission in which you actually tie something to some, you know, tie what you do on a daily basis to something as important as that, as helping people, I think is really critical. I think that um, also lends itself to, you know, um, it, the inclusivity of healthcare to, your, to the bio point. Um, and so that drives you as a person. Um, how did you get into to STEM, pathobiology, an undergraduate degree? Tell us the, your, your story there. Sure. Um, so oddly enough, when I graduated from high school, I uh, actually really wanted to go to music school. Um, but my parents uh, were very against the idea um, for a lot of reasons and also by virtue of the fact that the um, only music schools that I got into were out of state. And I lived in Florida when I was younger and um, we just simply weren't able to afford to go to a, like I couldn't afford to go to a school out of state. Um, so I went to an in-state school and um, I, my parents were trying to move me in the direction of STEM. Um, and my sister was already majoring um, in a STEM field at the time, um, but because it wasn't something at the time that particularly um, interested me. I kind of just arbitrarily chose a STEM 
major, uh, which you know sounds uh, strange because you know it's like your college major, but you know at 18, and I was kind of like I wanted to go to music school. I just was like, oh, this will be fine, whatever. Um, and I landed on microbiology and immunology, and um, it was really in the introductory class of that major that I realized how fascinating and complex biological systems are, and I realized how many different facets play with each other and against each other, which is, I feel like, not unsimilar to the way that music is composed, but also like in a lot of like, I feel like art is, our STEM is a lot more artistic than people realize. And and yeah, and I, I just, um, I ended up really enjoying it and enjoying learning about the, about the field. So yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in STEM and I ended up really loving it. So what musical instruments do you play? Um, when I was applying for school, I was primarily playing the piano um, and I, um, I auditioned um, with the piano, but I also played the violin and viola as well as the guitar and ukulele. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, we had a previous guest um, who played the French horn and I asked him um, a question around creativity and music and how that has actually influenced his um, STEM career and his research. So I ask you the same question. How has music and creativity in that realm influenced you? Yeah, um, I feel like, uh, you know, no nothing is perfect. And the in practice, also nothing is perfect. Um, so when you play a song, for instance, um, like, of course, there's notes on the sheets, but especially a lot of uh, more difficult songs, they have a lot of space for improvisation. And I feel like in science, it's a lot of improvising, like just like being um, on your feet when it comes to making a decision, especially when something doesn't um, uh, turn out immediately the way that you expect it to, um, or trying to find a way to make things uh, work, which may not always seem like it's supposed to on paper, but um, sometimes the way uh, doing things in a kind of unique and creative way um, helps you get the results that you're looking for, which, you know, might not be in, um, immediately intuitive. Well, that's great. Um, I think that that's um, precisely right. And it, it causes you also to think a little bit outside of the box too, which I think is a um, definitely a skill to have in STEM. Um, so you talked a little bit about immunobiology, microbiology, um, your introduction there. Um, is that how you got into pathobiology? Did you do research as an undergraduate? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so actually, uh, as an undergraduate, the research that I was involved in um, was not immunology or microbiology really oriented at all. It was all cancer biology, which is more of, I suppose, like the molecular biology um, of cancer. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I found the research very interesting. I was primarily uh, working on um, redox protective um, proteins, um, which were proteins that kind of help to um, protect against uh, DNA damage in um, our normal cells, but that these proteins tend to be taken advantage of in cancer systems to kind of um, allow that cancer cells will manipulate these these proteins to kind of create the the kind of mutations that 
they desire to function in the way that they want. Um, and so in kind of um, dysregulating the system, we're essentially kind of like where cancer cells are already like having their foot on the accelerator when it comes to um, cellular division, it's kind of like really slamming that accelerator down, which forces the cancer cells to hypothetically crash. So this is kind of the, um, the, the system we were thinking of. I think it's called synthetic lethality. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, I found it very interesting, particularly because cancer affects so many people. And there were so many people that I was working with, as well as the people around me um, who are affected by cancer. So I wanted to see firsthand what that research looked like and, um, and how that research actually results translationally to um, helping people. So I really, um, I really enjoyed that research as an undergrad. Um, and then pathobiology, I feel like is kind of like a pretty unique term that Brown has, but it ultimately, I feel like, encompasses um, uh, microbiology and immunology in that, like looking at pathogens and how it, um, how our, our bodies respond to those pathogens. Um, so um, I felt it kind of uh, uh, went along the line of what my major was like, although it didn't really match up with exactly what I did with my undergraduate research. Um, I felt that uh, I really wanted to explore this field of science, which I had for the past um, essentially six years before I started graduate school because I, I spent two years um, after undergrad um, working as a technician in, in cancer genetics lab. Um, and uh, and I, so I really wanted to kind of look more into this field that I hadn't really um, dived into before, dove into before, um, which is uh, more of an immuno immunological aspect. And yeah, um, I felt like it was very rewarding. I, I'm learning a lot in the program. You talked a little bit about taking a couple years off um, in between undergrad and grad. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that, you know, what why and what what it gave you sort of for graduate school in preparation <clears throat> honestly i felt like those two years that i took off before graduate school were really really valuable to my experience um and to um my career trajectory i don't think i would have um been able to navigate graduate school in the way that I currently have if I hadn't taken those two years off. Um, first, uh, I feel like um, just spending two years where you're not really doing anything except bench work really helps to put you in the mindset of, um, this is what my day-to-day -day life might look like and will I actually enjoy this? Um, uh, after I graduated from college, I honestly felt kind of indecisive on how I wanted to um, uh, Per, like pursue my career goals, which I think ultimately I knew that I wanted to do something where I would be helping people, but I didn't know how and and what like at what angle and what facet. So I think doing um, th those two years working as a technician really helped me to see like, okay, is graduate school going to work for me? Is it going to be something that I can see myself doing? And um, yeah, so th in those two years, I really felt like um, I felt like I became more familiar with that bench work and could see myself doing it for a couple of years. And it also gives you a lot more time to just to just think about like your career um, 
because sometimes like you're just on the spot all of a sudden, like in your last two years of college, trying to figure out what you want to do. And I think it's a little bit too hasty. So, and you're also just, you know, you're busy with classes and like extracurricular activities and all these other things. It's really kind of hard to focus only on your career. And um, having those two years um, also helped me um, think about what I want to do a lot better. No, I totally appreciate that answer. Um, I took a, it's, it's funny to juxtapose, I think, your approach to my approach. So I also took a year off in between undergrad and grad. And what I did was I didn't do any research and um, I missed it and I started missing it. And I went, oh, if I miss it, that's actually a good thing. So it's, it's interesting, um, you know, to, to kind of take it from those two perspectives, um, but also to, to do some reflection and to do some self-reflection. I don't think there is enough time during undergraduate to really think about long-term career trajectory or what you want to do, especially if you go into graduate school. Um, so I, I very much appreciate um, your answer, but also say, you know, like, it depends on the person too, which I, I appreciate. Um, so you you talked a little bit about you know career goals, and you talked in the bio, um, you know your goal is to make healthcare more inclusive. So I'm I'm curious from a sort of a, a large overview perspective, what do you um, what do you want to do when you grow up? Um, yeah, so um, I, that's a sometimes I'm like I'm already a grown up, but you know like. Uh, at the same time, I still feel like such a kid, especially like surrounded by all these academics and stuff. But yeah, um, in my mind, my current goal is um, I'm um, interested in working for like a nonprofit organization, maybe being involved in like lobbying for um, certain policies to promote um, equity, um, that kind of thing. Um, but I'm primarily interested in maybe um, getting involved in the United Nations or the World Health Organization. Um, uh, I've also always been like a huge feminist, so I'm kind of interested in maybe moving in a direction of like reproductive health and gender equity. Um, so yeah, those are my, um, those are kind of what I'm leaning towards. No, that's great. Um, how, how do you think having a background in STEM will help you in nonprofit, political sector, policy, advocacy? Um, I'm, I'm curious about what you think are translatable skills. I think um, uh, there's so many translatable skills um, when it comes to um, graduate school. He was saying that graduate school in and of itself counts as experience. It counts as work experience because you're not only working, but you're also a student. Um, and in that time, you're involved in, you know, delegating your project. You're also involved in managing um, uh, the the different projects because usually there's more than one project that you're trying to juggle at the same time and multitasking and you know not only the bench skills but also um, the kind of uh, mindset that you need to have in you know working through issues and troubleshooting um, uh, those problems that you're experiencing at the bench I feel like are very valuable skills that um, I think all employers appreciate so I feel like getting a PhD in STEM but just a PhD in general um, really um, gives you uh, a ton of experience um, and uh, skill sets that would be valuable to any employer. So I think um, getting a degree uh, there will um, help you uh, uh, succeed in any career that you would be interested in. Um, 
And uh, another thing too is I've been um, kind of I've been pursuing a master's degree in political science alongside my um, doctorate, um, which uh, has been um, I feel like very helpful too because I'm kind of um, seeing what political science scientists think of um, you know science and technology, and also seeing the gaps that. Um, they don't quite understand about the way research is conducted. And I think it'll be really cool to apply my knowledge in both directions because I feel also that a lot of scientists might be lacking in kind of that understanding of how um, politicians or diplomats make decisions around science policy. And I think it'll be kind of cool to, to transfer knowledge between um, those two fields. Um, so, yeah. No, I, I love that. And I love it for a variety of different reasons. One of one of which is um, that is sort of the mission of STEM from, right, is to think about translatable skills where um, you consider a PhD as work experience. And there's a variety of different ways and reasons why. Um, the other piece is that um, how I like to answer questions um, about scientists and, and broaching different industries is, you know, as a scientist, you think about black and white, or you think about zeros and ones, um, and it's right or wrong. Um, but when you actually think about other industries or other topics, it's very gray. The dichotomy maybe of saying political science plus scientists, there's not enough scientists in political science. There's not enough scientists, I think, um, pushing for advocacy and, and advocate groups. Um, and so I'm, I'm, it, it, it's exciting that you're, you're in that. Um, so let me just say that. Um, so let's actually talk a little bit about your current research. Um, I'm, I'm excited to, to learn more. So if you could um, give us a little bit of an overview as to not only your research, but the Jameson Lab and what the, the purpose is, um, I would love to learn more. Sure. So I think the Jameson Lab uh, broadly um, uh, looks a lot at um, the lung, does a lot of uh, lung-related research. Um, although, um, uh, there's also um, a, a major project in the lab that's also surrounding uh, wound healing and how um, infection affects <clears throat> wound healing. Um, so, uh, but uh, my project in the lab is um, specifically on the lung microbiome. And um, uh, like I mentioned before, I'm, I'm studying this complex relationship between the microbiome and the immune system in the context of cancer. Um, specifically, I'm looking at the lung microbiome and lung cancer. Um, and so essentially we're trying to probe the composition of the lung microbiome in a mouse model um, throughout um, health as well as um, the diseased lung and how per perturbations um, to the system affect um, not only the composition of the microbiome, but also, or the microbiota therein, um, but also um, how those perturbations affect the disease state of the animals that we're looking at, um, just so, so that we can um, get a better, better understanding of why, for instance, maybe therapies are, um, or lung cancer related therapies are um, not successful in some aspects, and if the microbiome plays any kind of role in the tumor microenvironment. Or how would you talk about the translatability there? Uh, that's a great question. So um, in our minds, um, I think uh, a lot of people um, might think that uh, when we're looking at these microbiota that they aren't uh, relatable, like translatable from a mouse to a human. But I think it's more important rather than focusing on the specific um, bacteria that are there, but more about the functions, like what are those bacteria doing? And a lot of bacteria, regardless of whether it's in us 
or an armadillo or a mouse or a bird. Um, they, they like they share similar functions because they're there for similar reasons. Um, and so in, in a tumor in a mouse, um, there might be bacteria that are near or promoted um, in the presence of a tumor. And that might be because of, very, of a very specific nutritional microenvironment that that tumor is promoting. And so similar bacteria are going to respond similarly to um, specific nutritional um, states. So I think um, even if the bacteria themselves might not be as translatable, I think the um, about learning more about what they're doing there will still be very valuable information. That's fascinating because I, yeah, I was thinking, you know, what is the translatability, um, particularly with lung cancer? Um, so, so that's a great perspective, I think, from from the Jameson lab. So can you talk a little bit about sort of what your hypotheses are, what you're doing specifically, your, some of your experiments right now? Definitely hypothesize that there are uh, microbes um, that are present in the lung that might be promoting during cancer that might be promoting a more regulatory state that might be dampening some of the immune response um, to the site of the tumor. And so, um, and so maybe uh, uh, changing the composition of the microbiome during cancer might change the way that the immune system is responding to the lung and help them help our immune systems find our tumors and respond to them because it might be hypothetically that these tumors are cloaking themselves in kind of like a symbi symbiotic bacteria cloak that might be preventing your immune system from seeing it as a problem because your, your immune system is trained to not respond to bacteria in your body that are safe bacteria or symbiotic bacteria. And if these tumors are kind of cloaking themselves in these, these microbes that are considered safe to our body, it might be preventing our immune system from finding that tumor and uh, essentially um, responding to it accordingly. So what does an experiment then look for you or look like for you, I should say, um, with respect to do you um, take out the tumor from the mouse model? Walk me through that a little bit more. Sure. So currently uh, we're uh, performing just um, a whole lung. Um, we're essentially blending up a whole lung extracted from these mice. Um, at this time, we're um, we're still not at that stage where we're looking at like location-specific extractions within the lung because it is kind of a small system. And the lung is also a pretty low microbial biomass system. So it's a little bit difficult to extract um, uh, bacterial genomic um, uh, material from the, uh, from the lung. So we, we use whole lung um, extracts, just trying to, trying to see what overall, what the um, composition is looking like in the lung. Um, and so uh, an experiment would be um, me exposing a, my, a mouse to some kind of perturbation, for instance, um, what, what will happen um, to the development of tumors if I expose these mice to antibiotics, for instance, um, intratracheally or intranasally um, prior to the onset of a tumor. And so, um, so let's say I'll expose these mice to antibiotics and then after a specific time period, we'll um, uh, 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 harvest these mice, um, harvest the lungs from these mice, kind of blend them up and then um, perform um, uh, a pretty uh, straightforward microbial extraction from, uh, from the sample. 
And then after we are able to isolate the microbes, we perform a DNA extraction from those microbes. And then we send that, um, that um, genomic material for sequencing. So then we send it to uh, um, uh, a company that performs sequencing for us. And then they give us back essentially um, a file that has all the sequences in it. And then we perform the kind of downstream analysis of, okay, what's in there, what sequences match to which microbes, et cetera. So how do you know, and this is going to be a, a fairly ignorant question, but how do you know if the mouse has lung cancer? We use kind of two models. We use pre-inducible uh, mutation in one of the alleles of KRAS, which is one of the um, primary uh, mutagens in, in non-small cell lung carcinoma. <laughs> and so um, a, uh, a lentiviral recombinase, um, which is essentially we expose these mice to lentivirus that has um, that has a vector um, for recombinase will be um, intratracheally administered to these mice. And then um, it kind of acts like scissors and goes in and cuts at where that um, when that allele has that mutation. So essentially, when it was without the recombinase, it's essentially wild type. But once the recombinase is exposed to these mice, that second allele in the KRAS um, becomes mutated. So then it becomes KRAS um, uh, heterozygous um, mutated. Um, and so that mutation is sufficient to induce cancer in these mice, but to ensure that they do have cancer, um, in half of the mice we extract, um, where we treat a bunch of mice the same, and half of those mice we extract the lungs, and the other half we send for histology. Um, and so we um, determine their um, cancer state by the histology. That's so helpful. I, I was thinking, okay, do you do like a um, x-ray to actually do, look at the tumor state and stage of the mouse? Um, I don't know. That's what I was yeah. thinking. But okay, yeah. Yeah. histology works too. That's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so what keeps you up at night with your, your research? Yes, there's always this kind of... Um, uh, you know, back of your mind understanding in graduate school, like, okay, I only have six years here, five and a half years here. Let me try and get this done as soon as possible so I can make this data as soon as possible so that I can write my thesis as soon as possible, etc. And because of the low microbial biomass nature of the lung microbiome, it takes quite a long time to perform those extractions, which is why it's still such an underdeveloped field um, in science, because it is so difficult to perform those extractions. Um, and so I sometimes I'm kept up at night by just the amount of time it takes to perform these experiments and are they going to go anywhere or is it actually going to mean anything? Am I actually going to find any meaningful results? Is this actually ever going to help anyone? Um, but sometimes I think focusing on those things can kind of dampen your ability to perform in, you know, day-to-day -day life. And also, you know, it's important to focus on the here and now and, and try and figure out what you can fix now and not focus on things that you ultimately might not have control over. So, yeah, I think as scientists, we're just so obsessed with control because, you know, we have these, we have the capacity to do so in the in laboratory setting. But I think, I think for our mental health that we, a lot of scientists need to loosen our grip on our control of everything else in our lives because it's, 
our the world is not a laboratory setting. <laughs> well, and it's so funny too because there was there's a common phrase I think in corporate culture that talks about progress, not perfection. And I think scientists all too many times when you think about experimentation, it's, okay, I got to get the right, perfect experiment done um, so I can get 100% yield or as close as I possibly could to it or whatever have you. And um, yeah, it's like progress. It's it's progress and learning from your failures too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're wrapping up and we're nearing the end of our time. Um, I do have a question regarding though, you know, if you were to interact with my 10 years ago, what kind of words of wisdom and or, or encouragement would you have given to her? Told her that, you know, everything's going to be okay. I mean, I remember at that time being so worried and scared about my future and thinking, since I had no idea what I wanted to do at that time, like, I remember being so anxious about it. And it, that would keep me up at night at that age is thinking about that question and you know, would it be worth it to take time off? And I, I would tell myself at that time, like, everything always works out the way it's supposed to. And, you know, and sometimes people do need time to figure out what they want to do. And so don't hate yourself for that. Don't, don't, you know, stress too much about, you know, taking the time to figure out who you are and what you want to do. Because taking that time will really help you set the stage for the life that you're looking for. So, yeah. Those are some true words of wisdom. I think the other piece to that is what you want to do maybe in five years is not what you're going to want to do in 20. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's power in reflection and there's power in what drives you as a human being. Um, So that's, that's really powerful. Um, So thank you for that. And um, with that, thank you, Mai, for being a guest today on the podcast. Um, you have an amazing story and some really fabulous research that you're pursuing. So I'm excited. And I think all of our listeners are also excited to kind of see your publications in the future and what it leads to. Um, and um, so thank you again. And for all of our listeners, don't forget to ask yourself, where does your journey stem from? Bye. Thank you for having me.